So this is the first of a, a series of nights. And uh, on Thursdays throughout the summer, we'll be doing this here, um, exploring together the parables of Jesus that he delivers throughout, throughout the, uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, the books about Jesus and what he did in his ministry. And what I love about the parables is that they kind of get to the core of um, like kind of these existential life questions that, that everybody's searching out the answer for, like what is the purpose of my existence and how should I go about living life and um, you know, how does good and evil seem to live together in this world? And how does how is God still good? And like all these kind of different, like really hard questions that Jesus doesn't really come out and give a straight answer to because the truth is the truth is deeper than than any single sentence can convey. And so he conveys it in a story, and um, these stories get at the heart of these truths. And so they paint a picture for us that helps us understand what truth actually is. Um, so I think that's beautiful, and um, we'll kick that off tonight with Will, and um, he'll be speaking on the uh, parable of the um, the house that is built on the sand and the house that is built on the rock and uh, the foundation of what to build your life on in Matthew chapter 7, I believe. And um, so... Yeah, without further delay, I'll just pray for, for Will and for us, and then we'll kick it off. Lord, um, thank you for this night and this place to, to, um, to dive into what your son Jesus did and what the words that he said, and um, let the words of Jesus just kind of fill us tonight and, and sustain us. And uh, let us be struck in the same way that his disciples must have been struck when he spoke them. And um, just Lord, we just let us sit in the in the timelessness of the words of Jesus tonight, and uh, and be changed by them. We pray for for Will as he speaks the words of Jesus, and um, just gives voice to to what he said. 2,000 years ago, but is even saying to us now, Lord, um, we need you for this, and so we trust you, and uh, we thank you. Amen. Cool. Thanks. I'm really glad I get to, to like, kick this off, because you guys don't have expectations yet, <laughs> <laughs> so no one's really, like, knocked it out of the park, um, but this is really fun to just get to... Um, dig into the word, um, ask questions of scripture with the idea of being able to teach it to you guys. And, um, you know, when I was preparing for this, I was, I was able to, to remember something that happened um, to me quite a few years ago, this experience I had. Um, and so, yeah, so here, here's what it is. Here's how I'm going to start. If you, if you ever felt like you were in serious danger, like, like something happens and you realize, you know, this isn't safe, um, but you can't do anything about it. 
in fact, you know the only way you're not in danger, like right now, is because is if you had made a different choice, like hours or days before. Um, so, like, I remember this moment really vividly. Um, it was the night the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl in 2009. I was in the city with a friend of mine. I went to college in New Orleans, and I was a freshman at the time. And we were walking down Canal Street, which is just this center boulevard in the middle of the city. I think we had just gone to IHOP, which I will continue to call IHOP. And all of a sudden, right, we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, this huge crowd of people, all the people who are here celebrating the New Orleans Saints winning the Super Bowl, they just start running towards us. I remember being absolutely terrified by this, this crowd of people running towards us. And the only thing I, the only thing I remember thinking then is, I am in danger, right? So my friend and I, uh, we obviously, we just, start, we just turned around and started running with them. Um, we ran for probably about a block before everyone kind of slowed down and like stood there and looked around. And then all the, the police horses like come galloping down the street looking for somebody. And I, I actually have no idea how that story ended. I have no idea why everybody was running. I, I have no idea what was going on there. But I just remember that wall of people running towards me and feeling like I only had two choices um, at that moment that, that could have made that I could have made at the time to make sure my life was safe. One of them I couldn't do, which was go back in time somehow and make sure I wasn't downtown or on that street. And then the other one was to run. Thankfully, I wasn't in any real danger, but it really felt like it. And maybe you guys have similar examples, or um, maybe you've actually been in like a real life or death situation. I've lived a pretty comfortable and safe life, so I'm thankful that that, that hasn't happened to me. Um, but you may be able to relate to that feeling, like, if only I had made a different choice. So in the passage I selected, which is Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and if you guys want to flip to it now, this would be a good time just to have it up. Um, Jesus is also going to talk about life and death choices. But in these passages, in these verses, he's going to talk about eternal life and eternal death. Right, so he's going to tell us that there's very real danger to leading a life outside of Christ, a life that is not surrendered to him, and there's a very real security in living with him. <laughs> Jesus is going to tell us that the decision to follow him is a life and death decision. And so when we read these verses, and as I unpack them for us, I think it would be good to ask ourselves, do I live a life surrendered to Jesus, a life that is obedient to him? Do I believe the gospel? Am I secure in knowing that I have eternal life? Right, these are huge, really important questions. And our life is at stake in answering them. So on that note, let me pray before we get really started. Um, God, you are great, and all things we have, um, they all come from, from you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the meals that you have given us tonight for this time to spend together in fellowship with one another. Um, we thank you for scripture. We thank you for giving us a way to know you through scripture and through faith in Jesus. Um, we just, I, just, I just pray that, uh, that you would just use my words and use scripture and tonight to just proclaim your truth and um, just show people who you are and uh, show people, tell people about Jesus. And I pray all these things in his name. Amen.
So let me uh, read the passage. It's Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Um, here's, here's what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So as, as Matt said in the beginning, these are called the parable of the two foundations. Some people call them the parable of the two builders. And right, right from the beginning, we see something that should tip us off when we read it, these verses are coming at the end of a section or at the conclusion of an argument. Right? We see the word then. It's, it's this, in our translation, it's the second word that Jesus says. He says then. So we see words like, like then, right? We should look above or before or the pages before it to see um, you know, what comes before this, this verse. And when we do that, we see verses 24 through 27 are actually the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if anyone has a red letter Bible, that's, that's really clear, right? Because you're going to see chapters of, of red ink, and then right after verse 27, it's just going to turn back to black ink, right? Um, so it's the closing section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And just a, just a quick, very brief overview. The Sermon on the Mount is the, the first of five major discourses that Matthew records in his gospel. Um, Jesus communicates to his followers... Uh, an ethic for how we're to live as disciples of Christ, right? So he does uh, a, a lot of teachings. He teaches on anger. He teaches on, on lust. He teaches on divorce. He, this is where the golden rule is. And in this closing section, Jesus warns people about hearing his words and doing them. He's, he warns people about following him. And those warnings are about eternity, about God's future judgment on us. He tells us that our decisions to follow him or not follow him have life and death consequences. And he does it three times, right? So he's, how do we know this? How do we know this is what he's doing? Well, he starts in verse 13. He, he talks about two gates and two roads, right? He says um, in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Then he does it again in the next few verses, verses 15 through 20. He has, gives us this imagery of good and bad fruit, right? In, verses, in verse 19, um, he, he tells us, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then for a third time, he tells us, in verses 21 through 23, he tells us about two kinds of disciples. Not everyone who calls themselves Christian will enter the kingdom of heaven. He, he's, he's saying... And he uses phrase like, on that day, right? This is, these are the words he uses. On that day, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 22. So anytime we see this opposition of life and death like this in Scripture, or references like fire, or references to a final day, right? we need to recognize that, that uh, Scripture is talking about eternity here. It's talking about eternal life and eternal death. And in these particular examples, Jesus is talking about what our eternal status is before God, right? Like where we stand on an, on an eternal scoreboard. 
So Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount talking about these two types of people, those who have eternal life and those who don't. And the parable of the two foundations is the fourth time he brings this binary up. It's the fourth time he warns us. It's the last thing Jesus says in his sermon. So this, it, the parable of the two foundations is basically Jesus' mic drop. I mean, just imagine listening to Jesus. He's giving a sermon, right, on this mountain that's rising above the Sea of Galilee. He's sitting down, because Matthew tells us at the very beginning of the sermon, he sits down. That's often how uh, Jewish teachers taught. And he's just told you three times that there are life and death consequences to following him. And he ends his long sermon with verse 27, right? And it says, And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And then he just gets up and walks away. I mean, can you imagine hearing that? It's supposed to pack a punch, right? It's supposed to hit you in the gut. Partly it's supposed to terrify you, right? To leave you searching for yourself. You're supposed to question what your foundations are. This is how we should feel when we read this parable. So this passage is about eternity. It's about inheriting the kingdom of God. It's about the very real danger of leading a life outside of Christ and the very real security of living with him. It's also about obedience. Again, it's about the danger of not listening to Jesus, the danger of not believing the gospel and not following his commandments. Because of those two things, this passage is intentionally divisive. So if you feel yourself squirming a little at only having two choices that Jesus is giving us, right? He's intentionally giving us two choices. You're supposed to feel that way. Jesus says there are only two people in the world, wise people who listen to him and foolish people who don't. And this was very clear to the people who were listening to Jesus at the time. His, his use of the analogy of the house built on sand and rock is intentional here. He's talking, again, on the mountain on the Sea of Galilee. Most people he's talking to live by this sea. They're fishermen and they're farmers, for the most part. Um, they all knew that sea was surrounded by what's called alluvium, which is a fancy word for uh, dirt that river and lake water deposits somewhere after a flood. Right? And the thing about alluvium is it's super fertile, which is why farmers love to live on it. It's also terrible to build on. Because it just washes away when the next floodwaters come, right? This is why New Orleans is sinking. The entire place is built on alluvium. Um, this is why nowadays when we build skyscrapers, we have to really think about where we're putting them, right? So, and we've figured out really clever ways to build skyscrapers in places like New Orleans or Chicago, which is also built on a lake. So in Chicago, they kind of engineer this way to disperse the weight and they kind of float it on the ground, right? And in New Orleans, they just, pile, they just drive piles into the earth until it stops moving. And they figure, oh, we hit something solid. You know, we're good to go. That's different from in New York, which is basically a rock. And we know that. If you've ever seen a picture of Central Park or, or been there, you see these rock outcroppings, right? And they actually will drill the buildings into the rock. Um, but the other thing about alluvium, this, this, this dirt, this sand, right, is that if you're just walking around trying to find a place to live, it doesn't seem like it's going to wash away. I mean, it seems like dirt, right? It seems like it's pretty, you're good to go. And that's, that's also true in, in the Sea of Galilee. It actually got so hard during the dry season, during the summer, that it felt like rock. So when people built houses there, they had to make sure to dig down to the bedrock so that when it rained or flooded, their houses wouldn't be washed away. 
So the people that Jesus is talking to in this passage live in a place prone to sudden and violent floods. We know this um, based on its geography, its topography, all that stuff. We know that happens. They live in a place full of sand that can get so hard it seems like rock. Sand that can fool you into thinking your house's foundation is safe. And they know that people who didn't dig into the earth to find rock uh, when they built their houses were foolish. They also knew that they were doing something that was, that was incredibly dangerous, right? They knew that people who built their houses on sand were risking their lives. People who did that in Galilee, who built their houses on sand, were going to die from rain, flood, or wind. It'd, it'd be sort of like if we just decided to make a camp in, the, in that park that's around Buffalo Bayou. Like if we just decided, oh, we're going to live here for a month, you know, during hurricane season or something. It'd, it'd be like that. It just wouldn't make sense. We would know not to do that. So Jesus is talking about eternal life and eternal death in this parable. He's talking to people who knew that if they made a choice to build their houses on sand, they were making a choice that was going to kill them. And the choice to surrender your life to Jesus is a life and death decision, just like the choice to build your house on rock or sand was a life and death decision. And this is why, this is why Christians should want to tell people about the gospel, right? That Jesus is the Messiah, that he lived, had a a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins to satisfy God's righteous requirement, which we all fall short. That if you believe in him, if you have faith in him, you too can have eternal life. You too can build your house on a rock. Right? It's not about just getting a bigger club or a bigger church or just feel like that's what we're supposed to do because he tells us in um, various places throughout the gospel, we should want to tell people about Jesus because we genuinely love them. Because right? we who have our houses built on rocks can see people who are living in the sand and know they're making a decision that will lead to their death. I mean, how could you not want to tell them? How could you possibly think we're loving our neighbors as ourselves if we're not telling them about Jesus? I, I've experienced this in my life. Before I was a Christian, when, when Cammie and I were dating and we're now married a year, uh, the, idea that I was, <laughs> the idea that I was not going to live an eternal life with God broke her heart. And one day she actually told me this when we were talking about Christianity and, and her faith, because I didn't have any faith that was not myself at the time. And as she told me about how our relationship survival didn't really matter all at that as much to her as my life, she started crying. And it's that type of crying that people do when you, they're just so heartbroken over how much they care for another person. If you guys know what that type of crying is. So that had a profound effect upon me. I'll always remember that moment. Because I knew that I had to seriously consider everything I was reading and hearing. I was going to church. All the, all the things I was talking about, I knew I had to so seriously consider them. Because if it was so real to her to do that, to feel that, to do that, that love that she was feeling about my life, I had to consider it seriously. That's the sort of love I'm talking about. Right? It's the sort of love for another person's life that would lead you to save a drowning person or pull someone out of a burning car or venture into wreckage of a collapsed house. The sort of things we exalt people over and call them heroes, right? Because they've saved people's lives. Proclaiming the gospel is like that, but actually with more gravity and weight. And I lose sight of that truth pretty frequently. Um, so here's an example that just happened yesterday. While I was at HEV, a guy asked me where I bought my pants. 
he was a young guy. He was probably my age. And he told me he had just moved to Houston. And I talked to him for maybe about a minute. And the entire time, all I could think was, please leave me alone. I'm trying to find buttermilk. I don't often buy buttermilk. And I don't know where it is. And all he wants to do is talk about where I'm, I bought my pants. And he very clearly wanted to keep talking to me. Um, but I probably gave off some sort of thing that let him know that I did not want to keep talking to him. Um, and he eventually left. And then when I was in the checkout line, I was thinking about that guy and how awkward this interaction was and how strange it was. And I thought, you know, for me, there are only two reasons why a man would ask another man where he bought his pants in a grocery store. You're either very strange or you're very lonely. And here I am, a person who will who is literally be speaking at a church event meant for anyone to come to the following evening a perfect thing to invite this guy who told me he had just moved to Houston, and I completely forgot. I was so distracted by how uncomfortable I was talking about my pants to a stranger in a grocery store that I forgot to love him. But even though this parable is divisive, it's a really hard teaching, there's actually something very comforting about it. And this is where I'm going to end. Because Jesus says that if you build your house on rock, if you believe the gospel, then your salvation is secure. There's nothing that's going to separate you from Christ or make you go from having eternal life to eternal death, no matter how imperfect we are. The house built on rock never falls. So would you guys pray with me one last time, and then we can head out or hang out. You know, so. uh, God, you are great, and, and we love you. Thank you for security and salvation, for making it possible to build our houses on rock. We pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our mouths for those around us that through us or in spite of us, you would do miracles in this city and in this world, that people would choose life, that they would choose you, God, I pray for that guy who asked me who I had a conversation with. I pray that he finds life if he doesn't have it already. Um, I confess I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I know that. But I know that uh, you, you love us more, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this congregation. Um, and just bless the rest of our time that we have tonight. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. I pray all these things in his name. Amen.